Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the show. I hope y'all had a great week. Uh, after releasing the first podcast, I learned a good bit about how the Anchor Podcast machine works, and I've received a fair bit of feedback as well. Uh, so thanks to everyone for that, and I really do appreciate it. It uh, truly helps me as I uh, grow as a host and uh, helps the podcast just get better and better. Uh, so, um, so on that note, I have decided to formally, formally announce that the name of the show will be Cruising on the Cutting Edge. Now listen folks, I got some treasured feedback and I think it makes a lot of sense to go down this route. This way it sticks with the theme, folks get the gist of the show, and the previous title does not spread my code name to the world. I also hope to continue with the music, but for now, it seems I will be backing off of it um, for a few reasons. I'm sure you guys enjoyed it as much as I did, but actually most folks can't hear the full songs because tis only the case if you have Spotify Premium. So, also, through, copy, uh, through uh, copyright laws and such, I will not be able to take any donations from the audience if I do have such music because of uh, how that all works out. Uh, so to sum that up, the show is now a whole lot worse. The name is terrible, and now the only part of the show people could bear listening to has been bottled up in the urine depository and chucked out of the window of the car. So, thanks everyone for tuning in. We had a great one-timer. Now, how much energy would it actually take to chuck out that bottle? I have to ask. How much energy did I just expend trying to dip the last uh, couple of crumbs from the Munto Cheeto bag into my gullet? These. These are important questions that only a mathematician can answer. This week, on Cruising on the Cutting Edge, we are popping over to dandy New England to a smaller university some in the audience may know, may even attend. Worcester Polytechnic Institute, or WPI for short, because, thank God, it's actually not Worcester, it's Wooster. <laughs> um, thank God for that abbreviation, because I don't think I could always remember that Wooster is actually spelled with a double O. Now, um, WPI is a home to a man of the name Professor Sam Walcott, whose group's work has most recently revolved around molecular mechanics, trying to describe, paint the picture, if you will, of how molecule helps cell, helps muscle create motion. So, our first stop will be Theory Lane, followed by a drive past hardware and testing, and to wind up with a turn on the on-ramp to the future. Since he is a mathematician, his choice of medium is with some curly cues and some hieroglyphs, also known as differential equations. That is how he paints the picture, as I was saying before. Now, from what I was able to glean from the several links I blazed through, the work goes back quite a few years. Let me begin by explaining that we are still learning a lot about muscle movement. So the basics. Muscles have fibers, and in these fibrous strands are tons of cells with two types of proteins called myosin and actin. 
Now the myosin sort of grabs onto the actin during the uh, contraction uh, using many different what I call grabbers. They probably have a technical term for it, but that's what I'm calling them. And uh, actually, I think they have several. I'm getting to that. Anyway, so it grabs on the myosin grabs onto the actin and pushes its uh, the actin, which is sort of a chain, past itself, um, in sort of like a reverse ant-like motion, the where the ant is fixed and the ground is moving past it. So. Um, Here's already where Walcott's work comes into play. Like we, we, we know this and, and Walcott is already expanding on this. Uh, so in a 2014 paper, he notes that models up until that point had only been able to accomplish predicting contraction, i.e. displacement in one direction, assuming one grabber was moving the actin past the myosin at a time. Walcott actually expands the theory of these molecular mechanics here in this paper to two or more grabbers, or what we like to call, or what he liked to call uh, motors, or localized motors uh, that work in tandem. Because of course, everything has to relate back to cars in this, in this show. <laughs> um, so now that he's looking at that, this can get a whole lot trickier to predict, as in uh, predict the, the amount of motion or the amount of force that comes out in a contraction. Um, and it, go, it goes down to actually a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, sort of basic mathematics, which is coupled interactions. Um, and it, this sort of mathematics can be found anywhere. Really, it can be found in structures. I was just looking at that um, in some uh, homework for my spacecraft systems. It can be found, obviously, in muscles now. So it's 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 over. It's it's pretty much everywhere. Mostly because things don't, or at least on the molecular level, don't typically work alone. So, yes, tricky, tricky business but I will attempt to explain how this happens. Um, so what, uh, through these um, PDEs, or what, what they call uh, partial differential equations, he is able to predict statistically um, and mathematically uh, uh, the uh, amount of contraction um, and the, the, through the force and the uh, motion. So now the group conducted experiments and verified these nasty looking differential equations with the results. How did they catch the myosin and the actin rubbing against each other, you ask? Well, let's drive down past the hardware and testing part of town, shall we? The very interesting thing about muscles is that you can tell when they are being used, especially if they are as huge as mine. The scientists pulled a similar trick. They knew that after a neural signal was received, a large amount of calcium is released between the cells. So this calcium actually ends up heating things up between the meiosis, uh, myosin and the actin. So now they know they can, how they can control how much calcium is in the drinks, so to speak. Um, now that they know that, they also know that myosin is sticky. So all they have to do 
is add a little fluorescent filament to the actin. Think a very shiny sequence dress and watch as it slides around on the test dish when they add calcium. Very super neat. And uh, that's and, and they measure that motion. So that's a very highly controlled process. <clears throat> they also test with intact muscle, likely a human subject. And they send an electrical signal to the arm to contract and release the calcium itself. Uh, and they measure the force that the arm exerts. This is less controllable, especially if the person is awake and filling their arms everywhere like a good patient. So along with those, uh, some other experimental data was looked at. Actually, they even seem to borrow results from experiments conducted elsewhere. And the results are positive. Their model seems to be quite accurate and match the data quite well. So now to bring everyone to speed on where things are today, because that was back in 2014. The next few months and years will be even uh, more interesting for Walcott WPI, Private Muscular Investigator. Uh, the National Science Foundation has granted his group recently over 1.4 million to discover and develop predictive methods for how much chemical energy is required to contract those babies. That'll include everything from the neural signal to the recruitment of amino acids to uh, repair the muscle. All of this work is going towards a holistic description of the motions of muscles. You can probably already imagine the implications for prosthetics. We've, if we can get down to the molecular level of precision for determining how many myosin should bind to the actin to correspond to the brain signal I just sent to my fictional robotic arm for my uh, fictional bag of hot Takis, it would make life so much more enjoyable. Let me tell you. But that's not it, folks. You can imagine what kind of crazy can, can, uh, th things we could do. Can, can you? Because I have just a few insane ideas. Um, I just thought of this when I was reading up on this guy. I mean, heart prosthetics? Yes, we have, you know, transplants and those are hard to come by. Um, and actually, sometimes they don't even work uh, due to complications of the transfer. So something as, as accurate and um, readily available as a heart prosthetic would be amazing. I'm sure there's someone out there looking at it right now. Also, think, could we ever get to the point where we could control our own bodies to the molecular level where we only have to move a certain section, a certain strand, a, cir a singular myosin grabber. I don't know if I'd uh, give up my own body for a prosthetic one that could do that, but I have to ask myself what that would mean. 100 words per minute with 100% accuracy, no more fat bringing the keyboard um, would be amazing. That's what I'm, that's what the first thing that popped into my mind. So y'all, I hope you enjoyed this week's show as much as I did. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Please send this along to your friends. I could use as much feedback as I can get. You may not know this, but I do not love or do not have much social media to speak of, but I'll look into getting something for the show specifically. Don't hesitate to reach out to me uh, in the meantime. Let me know what you would do with molecular precision control of your elbow. And on that note, thanks again. We'll be back in the bucket seats next week. Folks, my song recommendation for the post-talk portion of this show is um, called Energy Flow by Ryuchi Sakamoto. Please look it up. It's amazing and it 
fits the theme of this particular episode very well.